I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I always get very excited when I chat to somebody who is using their professional talents and their understanding to help people in different ways. And today I'm delighted to be chatting to Dr. Amy Conrad, and she's a board-certified paediatrician and working mum. She's the founder of Kinder Digital Paediatric Clinic and the host of Ask Dr. Amy podcast. Dr. Amy is on a mission to help families raise healthy and happy kids by paving a more simple and natural path to parenting. Her podcast answers the most common questions from real parents and explores and shares experience of being a modern parent. Now, I think very often we want to have this support around us and it depends on whether we have extended family, whether we have people in our in our world that are actually able to help. And so I think having people like Dr. Amy around to have that support, to feel like you've got an extended network of understanding and a friend that can really kind of bring some of these questions and answer some of these questions and, and maybe get rid of some anxieties and feel like that we're, we're all doing the best that we can in this modern world is an exciting prospect. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Amy. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always great to speak to another podcaster because it's great to share the love and the and the the great things that podcasters are sharing across the world. I think it's a great source of information and such a friendly way of being able to share information, but also I think connect in, in a wonderful way. So start off by telling us what the podcast is all about and then sort of take us into the other things that you've got going on. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I feel the same way. So um, I am Dr. Amy Conrad. I am a board certified pediatrician based in Boston. And my podcast is called Ask Dr. Amy. It's, um, it's sort of a platform for me to have conversations with parents, similar to the way you have conversations with educators and also people invested in this space of children's health. I just found that in my clinical practice, we don't really have enough time to have these one-on-one conversations, especially more informal ones where we share experiences. And I also get to teach in a more um, conversational way. So it actually started off as a YouTube channel. I just believe in providing good resources for parents. And over time, that evolved into a podcast because, you know, as busy parents, I find it easier to listen rather than also watch a video. So um, yeah, so my podcast is Ask Dr. Amy, along with, um, and my clinical practice these days is called Kinder Digital Pediatric Clinic, where I provide um, direct care to families and parents from the comfort of their home. So I guess my entire work is all centered around providing individualized, personalized care to families. And so you can see why I was excited about this conversation, because that personalized idea of learning from an education point of view, yes. that, that sense that, you know, every child or every person needs 
what they need and that doesn't fit into that kind of one classroom like say or that one particular medical idea of what should be the answer to a question because every different person has a different side effect or a different outlook or a different illness which comes from a different situation and then like you say i think just sort of dispelling all the things that you think it should be like and being able to have that mm-hmm. personalized focus is um is, is is really really key so tell us a little bit about how that kind of works in practice for you in terms of taking away all of the it should look like this it should look like that this is what we kind of know is the case and taking them all back to the basics of kind of what do we need to know what's that kind of starting point of looking after our children in terms of i guess the different elements in terms of nutrition and lifestyle and all the things that sort of build up to have a healthy child absolutely and that's why i also really resonated with the message of your um, podcast that learning is individualized because I think in the pediatric space, especially, there's so much tribalism. I think people are invested in doing things one specific way for all kinds of reasons that I try to bring it down to the basics, which is the science of what do we actually know is good for the child and kind of prioritizing. I think these days there is a temptation to optimize every single element of life and uh, parenting and everything. And in the end, I think it actually adds more stress. So I like to simplify for people. For example, um, the eternal um, tribal debate between breastfeeding formula. We do know that breastfeeding has a lot of benefits, but at the same time, it's not realistic for some families. So I think instead of being caught up in this war and a lot of shaming and stress, um, I think about the science of what it takes to feed our children well and doing the best that we can under the circumstances. And I think that applies to so many aspects of children's health. Um, And I, I try to make it Um, I call it a more natural, simplistic approach to parenting, um, understanding the basic elements of science and then making it your own on top of that because every kid is different and their needs are different and the families are different too. So I try to respect those differences instead of a one-size-fits-all, which I think tends to make people either feel bad, they're not doing the right thing, or it just sets sets up impossible expectations. Um, I try to take it all into account and, okay, the most important things your child needs are these elements of nutrition, this kind of developmental psychology, the environment in their home. I, you know, there's only a few very important things and then the rest I try to get people to relax a little bit about. Yeah, I love that. And I think the feeding is a great example, isn't it? Is because you can get very focused on it must breastfeeding is what we have to do because that's what everyone tells us is the most important thing and rather than having that step back of the most important thing is that your child gets exactly what they need yes Um, and at that point the decision probably is relatively straightforward because depending on your personal circumstances as a mother it might be very straightforward it might not be if it's not then you have an alternative which gives your child what they need and it might be a combination but, it, yes. that, but the decision seems to me to be, as a parent as well, was quite straightforward from that point of view. You know, what is possible? What is practical? What does the child need now? And, and I think, especially when children are very young, we know that everything they need happens on an hour-by-hour hour basis. So you, you can make those decisions <laughs> yes. very quickly because it's a very immediate thing. Yes. Yes, and I think that... Um 
you know, it's about removing the shame and the pressure and making it, you know, having a um, ch- a parent who is as relaxed as possible, as psychologically, mentally stable as possible. That's perhaps more important to the child than any small specific thing. So I try to put it all into context and focus on the few important things. There was a very um, fascinating conversation I listened to yesterday, and it was on the Diary of a CEO podcast. And they were talking about education in terms of, you know, what's important. And the thing that came across, and I'll put an episode to the, to the, a link to the episode in the show notes. It was the fact that children's brains, you know, are developing from, you know, from almost con- sort of conception, as it were, all the way through to being a young adult. And the most important thing is creating an environment and a situation where children can develop in the best most natural way because with that kind of support and understanding the developmental needs are taken care of by the natural ability to want to learn to to, you know to take in new skills because that's sort of how we're sort of hardwired to do that Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think parenting in the same way for me often was the same sort of thing that you know you can read a million books you can watch a million videos you can do it like this this and this and the personalization of it comes a lot down to intuition and what you feel is right and then like say based on that understanding but also that sense of if we've got an environment here which is loving which is safe which is nurturing which gives you the opportunity to to experiment in terms of just growing i I think that kind of like you say it takes the pressure away in lots of ways which just enables that kind of natural um growth to, to occur I think that is the challenge, is that there is no equation and formula. And in our professional lives, I think we're so used to a world that has all these rules and you input A, B, and you get C and D out. And parenting is not like that. And I think that's the stress because to some extent, like you said, you have to follow your instincts and you know what your child needs. And yes, I believe that nature has its own intelligence and the brain develops the way it does in a natural way. And I think a lot of times we also have to practice not getting in the way of that. And for young children, especially when the young brain experiences trauma and stress and um, sort of these negative elements, they actually get in the way and they interfere with the development of the frontal cortex. And that's where we have the problems. Um, You know, there's one hot topic, for example, of ADHD, attention deficit, um, hyperactivity disorder. And there is a school of thought that it is these traumas that we experience in childhood that makes us tune out of the present situation as a protective mechanism. And as a result, we can't tune back in. And that's where that ADHD can come in. So as parents, nobody, you know, we all, one of my basic principles is that all parents are trying to do the best for their child. It is not for a lack of motivation or um, we're always, you know, sometimes in trying to do the best thing is where we run into trouble. Um, So that's why maintaining a loving environment, making sure that the child feels seen and heard and accepted for who they are, that's really the most important thing for a young brain to develop. The things that we call trauma as we understand trauma more and more, it's not just the catastrophic, huge, um, negative events that happen, but also um, small things like detachment, um, feeling unaccepted for who they are, being ignored or 
not feeling seen or heard. These things are trauma to the young mind. So I think understanding that um, is how we understand how important it is to make sure that young child's brain can develop in a safe, loving environment. So there are two things that strike me on, on, on this sort of train of thought. One is the fact that as teachers and educators, you have um, an incredible amount of um, power for, um, for good and bad, for exactly what yes. you said, because the, the things that you say, the way that your environment is set up, the way that schooling is, um, can have a, a really big impact above and beyond what you think it might be. And I think also different for every child, because I guess the, the comment you make to one child won't be taken in the same way as it might mm -hmm. be taken to it from another child. So it's sort of understanding that as well. And I think also the sense that if there is a child that has trauma in whichever way that you just you just described, mm -hmm. what is it that we can do to help early on in life to kind of sort of change that pattern, you know, in terms of starting to, for them to understand that it's not their fault um, and acceptance of this is just the way your brain is starting to be wired, um, you know, having an environment where, you know, things that can support you to be more grounded and remember who you are um, whether that's kind of yoga or meditation or kind of ways of being at one with with the world which I think then reinforces what you kind of what, what you kind of know rather than like say what the trauma is which is starting to sort of give you a perception of maybe yourself in life which maybe isn't actually true Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's unfortunate that, you know, teachers and parents are the two halves that make up a young child's developmental environment. And sometimes one can't influence the other. So when you work with a child that has maybe a home situation, you cannot change. I think what we what they fundamentally need, what every human needs is still the same thing of being seen, being heard, being accepted for who they are. And if they cannot have that at home, it still matters a tremendous amount, if not even more, that if a teacher or another adult in a, um, in a position of authority can provide that. And I think a, a teacher, what can, they can do really comes down to something very simple is making that child feel seen. And if I look back on the teachers I've had, I've had an interesting schooling. I was, um, I was born in China and I moved to the United States with my parents when I was 11. I didn't speak a word of English. This was in the middle of fifth grade. And I was um, in ESL classes, which stands for English as a second language. And one of my best influential teachers was there, Mrs. Schaefer, I still remember her. And her special skill is making a child feel seen. Even if they don't speak the language yet, she can get through to them in a way that I've seen her, you know, guide students into just blossoming into this new environment and having the confidence. And all that is, is meeting the child where they are and, you know, having them feel like whatever the circumstances, whatever they're doing, they're being understood and somebody believes they are good at the core. So it's very simple and very complex at the same time. Um, and I think for teachers, the best teachers really come with an innate understanding of that. Yeah, and do you think that's um, in some ways being eroded 
at the moment because of young teachers coming through maybe they don't have the experience of that or they're not being trained that as it comes through because yep. there's such a there's such a high sort of stakes idea of testing and accountability now that kind of you know breadth and understanding of what you just talked about which is so incredibly important it seems to me in my experience the teachers that are doing that are the ones that really understand learning in children and mm-hmm. that's different than being a qualified teacher necessarily and it's quite hard I, I guess there's there's mentorship and various things which go through but to, to get that kind of true sense of what you need as a teacher to to come across for people who maybe aren't getting those skills during their training is is difficult it may be why why the education system is slightly sort of entering into a world that it is Absolutely. In a perfect world, if I uh, or you were in charge of selecting teachers, I think that would be the number one criteria. But in the real world, I think we face this constraint in multiple fields. Too many students, too many patients, and then the practitioners having to go through some sort of standardized way of being trained and selected. And to some extent, I understand that because on a societal policy level, it's hard to capture something so vague and abstract as what we just talked about. So I, I'm i not sure what the solution is, but it is true that teachers these days, when they're way overworked, they're underpaid, they don't have the support that they have, but also in the selection and training process, I'm not sure there's enough of this element of taking into account developmental um, psychology and healthy mental health. So I don't know, I think to some extent, it's almost luck if one has a teacher like that, even though it shouldn't be. And now that I am a parent, I feel like not too long ago I was a student and now I'm a parent and thinking about the the student experience and the education my kids will receive, it does make me concerned about, you know, finding this kind of teacher. And um, I think awareness, like we're talking about now, is really the first step. And um And I'm hoping, you know, the best teachers, they either come with this innate ability already or they have a learned understanding of the importance and they're able to apply that in their teaching. Uh, I think it's possible, but it does come from talking about this, this element of teaching as we're doing. Well, and I I think that's the key thing. And I think maybe this is the this is the, the middle ground, if you like, because like you said, the parents on one hand have such a big impact mm-hmm. and the teachers have such a big impact. And sometimes there's somewhere in the middle where you can get that extra bit of information. It may be the teacher wants to give more than they, they understand or they're not quite sure where they can get the support. Maybe it's the parents who wants that. And I think things like this podcast where we're having these conversations, you know, there are people listening who will go, I knew there was something, but I wasn't quite sure what yes. it was, you know, um, and, and, and the, sa- the same for the work that you're doing. You know, I, I wish I could go, you know, and, and see a doctor every week and just ask these couple of questions because I'm not quite sure, but I think I am. But you're actually creating an environment where people can actually get their get themselves heard and, and get questions answered. Um, and so I just think as the technology is expanding like it is now, maybe it's just that kind of sort of trusted and known people that people like maybe are able to sort of support that and just move the needle a little bit to kind of bit by bit improve what these outcomes are because more people can find it in a more organic way rather than, like I said, it'd be great if the, the system had training which put all this sort of um, front and centre. But if it's not, maybe we've got a little bit more personal responsibility now to kind of have these conversations and see if we can point people in the right direction to get the the answers that they need 
I do think this shift is happening. I think just in the parenting space, we're talking way more about because we. I think we're noticing the mental health problem that we have in young people. So more and more parents are exploring things like attachment parenting or conscious parent, whatever name we put on it. This idea that you have to pay attention to the child's development, developing mind. Um, as well as their body. So I think, like you said, the change is happening behind the scenes, not through the official channels quite yet. And I think that's part of my goal as well, because all of this actually wasn't taught to me in training either. In medicine, in pediatrics, there's also a, um, I would say, a gross negligence of the very important mental health, um, even nutritional, physical health, these kinds of non-illness-related areas of health. I think that's why I started my podcast and also to acknowledge that this is not a, you know, I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. But having these conversations is, I think, where the change happens and spreading awareness one by one to the parents, I think will make a big difference for the next generation. When I go on these forums and I see the conversations happening between parents, I am hopeful and with teachers, I'm hopeful that um, the experience will gradually change. And just take me into your sort of mindset and early journey, because I can understand your thought process in terms of wanting to start it, because I think lots of people think, oh, I want to do something to help. It's another actually, you know, creating a YouTube channel, creating a podcast and doing all the things that you've done around it. So what sort of took you in into that sort of that sort of media world as, as, as well as sort of your sort of day to day life as a doctor? <laughs> yeah, interesting. So before I started all this in medical school, I worked for Khan Academy. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. So so I started making videos for them, educational videos. I think it was the first thing that turned me on to the idea of uh, making content in a way that people can consume on their own time as many times as they need and learn. And in my generation, this is how I learned so many things as well. So coming from that, when I was uh, then in residency training to be a pediatrician, I had a busy resident clinic, which is normal for you know any pediatrician in the U.S., I have 10 minutes to see each patient. And this is, you know, you see your pediatrician every few months as a baby, every year as an older child, and you have to squeeze everything into 10 minutes of um, doing the exam, addressing any issues, let, and, and then talking about the health, uh, the lifestyle, the mental health, all these things. So I, by nature, am a, I'm a talker. <laughs> I like to talk to people, and I like to explain my recommendations. I don't like to just tell parents, do this. I feel like it only makes sense if I explain why and what's my understanding of it and have this conversation. So it really frustrated me to not be able to have that. I mean, you're literally running from room to room. And again, I understand the constraint of the system, the number of patients, the number of doctors. But I I thought this just cannot be the, the reason. And also, I was getting asked the same questions all the time. So as a way, I I just like efficiency. So I started making videos just as a way of, I don't have time to explain this, just watch this video on my YouTube channel. (laughs) And that's really how I started. So once I started, I thought, oh my gosh, there's so many topics I want to talk about. And I try to make them short. A lot of my podcast um, episodes are, you know, five to 10 minutes. You can't really ask for more time these days from busy parents. And that's all it takes. So I think um, 
I hope to keep making content for as long as, and my understanding is evolving too. It's a way for me to reflect and share what I've learned. But also, I mean, I, I think as parents, they need a good resource to go to um, rather than just Googling and you know finding the information because that is how we find information these days. So. So that's how I started, and I, I hope there's a lot more of that coming from every industry, which is why I'm always so excited to, like you said, to see a podcast on these topics. Yeah, amazing. And and you mentioned there it was the same com the same questions being asked over and over. Yes. What are some of those key areas that that parents obviously really um, ask needing those que- answers to those questions? Well, from a medical perspective, there's a lot of, um, you know, my kid has a fever, what do I do? Or my favorite, one that I always get asked is, uh, what is the dose of Tylenol or acetaminophen or Advil for a child? Which, if you follow the bottle um, or the box label, the dose is not correct. It's based on age when it should be based on weight. So all day I'm calculating this for people. And finally, I just put on my website a calculator where you can enter the weight and it spits out the dose. So that's kind of the medical side of things. Um, And then the psychological aspect, you know, a lot of parenting, you know, um, tantrums in toddlers or my child is picky uh, with eating or um, they have ADHD. What do I do? And all these things that you go to your pediatrician for, while a lot of pediatricians are just trained to treat disease. So I think parents are sort of lost in this space um, because every day the things that actually influence your days with your child, a lot of it is not illness-based. It's a lot of, is this okay? How do I, you know, how do I foster this environment? How do I talk to them in this situation? So um, those are, as I get more questions, every time I, I see a question come up, I try to go make a video or a podcast episode about it. And I guess it's having that sense of having a trusted friend who's really qualified and knows what they're talking about, isn't it? Because I think as sort of so many people, you know, you may not live close to your family anymore or mm-hmm. you may not have a circle of people that you're able to ask certain things. So it might be a medical thing. It might be more life related. And I, and I think, like you say, to have someone who you know, like and trust and and someone that that you feel like, oh, there, there's going to be an answer there or there's someone, even if everything's okay, just to sort of gain more information. So when, like you say, there's a, a question that comes up, you kind of already know the answer because you, you've been involved in listening to mm-hmm. a lot of these things going on. And, and I think that just gives you as a parent, certainly, um, a little bit of a kind of a break from, like you say, that worry and anxiety which just comes from the unknown because you've, you've got the answers around you and you've got a support network albeit not the person who's living next door, but the person that's in your earbuds and the person that you're actually communicating with in some form or another on a regular basis. That's exactly the experience I tried to create. I actually say it's like having a friend who's a pediatrician. And I know from experience, my own friends, if I if I could count the number of times they would text me a poopy diaper <laughs> or something and say, is this okay? Is this right? And so much of parenting is just that, having feedback, having someone to bounce idea off of, having a trusted friend who knows maybe just a little bit more than you to say, um, is this okay? Um, Make sure I'm doing the right thing. I think this isolation is a huge problem with the experience of being a parent today because we've lost a lot of the, um, if you think back to early human history, we live in 
groups and compounds and extended families and children are raised in this environment and we inherit a lot of this certainty and advice and reassurances from other people. So in today's nuclear family, not only have we lost a network, but parenting and science itself is moving so fast. I think it's hard for anybody to feel like they're being kept up to date. And of course, also some information come and go. And you, I think parents are just inundated with an overwhelming amount of information that they can't parse through. So sometimes, yeah, I feel like um, I would like to be that friend and also almost an interpreter. Mm. People would just bring me an article and say, is this real? Are eggs bad again? Are they good again? You know, there's <laughs> so much out there and uh, not a lot of filters so that I think people don't know what to trust. So I try to be that resource for them. And I think when you can see someone on a video or you can hear them in your ears, it, the the connection is so different, isn't it, than just reading yes. a website page or, or something like that, even if it's from someone you do trust, as it were. I think it, I mean, people get this information in different ways and it speaks to people literally in different ways. But I think for me personally, I guess that's the, the reason for being a podcaster, the, yes. the being able to hear your voice and how that humanity comes across, I think, which is the reason was what you get when you go to see a doctor, isn't it? You know, you've got that personal contact and and, and be able to sort of relate in that way. And I'm, I'm curious, as a parent now, is your experience of what you thought being a parent would be like the same <laughs> in actuality <laughs> as opposed to like you say when you were sort of giving this information from other people it's interesting i was joking and saying that being a parent feels to me like i'm getting a phd in something that i used to study in undergrad i'm getting that next level <laughs> um yeah it's always i think it's always interesting when a pediatrician becomes a parent i was a pediatrician if you count training in medical school almost 10 years before I became um, a parent. And of course, as a young pediatrician, without having had kids, it's also interesting because I'm, I don't know, 25 years old and somebody's asking me about breastfeeding. <laughs> I have no idea. So I have to go, in a way it's good because it forced me to read everything about everything. And I think having that knowledge um, has really helped. And of course, in the daily practice. And then having the child, I almost feel like I'm having two parallel points of view. And one, I'm experiencing being a parent, but on the other hand, my professional brain is there and I'm seeing myself having this experience. It's tremendously educational, um, both in learning and relearning the technical things, but also, of course, relating to the experience aspect. All pediatricians will tell you that having a child changes their practice, and it absolutely does. So, um, in some ways, I say he's my little science experiment. There's definitely things I try out. I've always, I mean, I've studied this. I have this kind of theory. Um, and I'm thankful, too, for the training and experience because I think um, it saved me some of the anxieties, but also gave me more empathy about those anxieties. I think having, um, after giving birth, coming through the nursery and going home, I used to work in the nursery. I was the one teaching people about their babies and sending them out. So on the other hand, now I understand if I didn't have that experience, how little teaching and support there is to be sent out with a new baby that you have no idea what to do with. So um, definitely still unpacking all of it as my kids get older. I think the understanding will only deepen. But yeah, definitely, I think it's going to always be interesting to be both parent and pediatrician. 
Yeah, fantastic. It's, it's so fascinating. And I, I guess the biggest thing, of course, is the fact that from a professional point of view to a, um, a parental point of view, is you mm-hmm. have a different emotional setup, don't you? Because, of mm-hmm. course, you've got all those emotions when it's connected to your own child, which you have in a very different way um, from a professional thing. And it's and like say, until you've experienced that, it's quite hard to have that kind of inner inner workings of the fact that even having told maybe a parent everything they need to know and yes. they understand it and everything's great, there's still something there which is just that kind of a emotional reaction, good, bad or indifferent, which is, is something which is almost unquantifiable but so powerful absolutely and sometimes a lot of times i think my role is to empathize and to listen you cannot solve every problem and uh, i think providing that listening space and holding the space is a huge part of being a practitioner and being a healer and being a teacher so in the same way i think um yeah I imagine it's the same way as a teacher having a child going through school. You realize that sometimes you just have to be there and uh, be present. Yeah, and I think sort of almost going full circle to to what you said before. I think many of us would like a, a magic wand to sort of whole change mm-hmm. the the system, whether it's healthcare, whether whether it's education. But while that's not happening that kind of the conversations that we're having like say the person creating a podcast creating a videos doing the things which are helping just steer the ship in 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 that direction makes a big difference and i think that becomes then quite empowering whether you're from an audience point of view or for like you say you and i as creators that actually that conversation today has made a difference to somebody and and it's opened mm-hmm. a door and it's opened a conversation which is going to make a difference to somebody else and that's the only thing you can do because i can't say that tomorrow every child is going to have an extra hour to play or to you know some one-to-one time with an adult that they need to chat to because that's that's <laughs> not going to happen as much as we might think that's the that's the case and and, and i think that then becomes like a sort of a positive energy which certainly gives me the 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 desire to sort of keep going with this kind of content i believe in incremental change i think that um, perfection is not possible nor is it even the goal and if you think of a child having good teachers they don't need to have perfect teachers all the way through school for a lot of people it's one teacher that changes everything and in a way i actually think these negative experiences are also important and character shaping and in a way it makes you appreciate when you are finally getting that experience that you crave so um yeah absolutely i think that each conversation each little incremental change you never know where it's going to land oh sorry that's my phone you never know where it's going to land and you never know what difference it will make so yeah i think um being a content creator is an act of faith. You just keep going and you put stuff out there and I believe it all comes back around. Yeah, and I think that you hit on a really key point there that you can't, you don't know the light if you haven't seen the dark and, and mm-hmm. there's obviously areas of that and, and various degrees of that. And I think, and I think as we sort of alluded to earlier on, I think understanding where that fits in your life and also being able to understand it as a trauma or not or or something that you've learned from because it wasn't a great experience but how you can then frame it or accept it understand it support yourself to to grow in into into back to that authenticity of who you are um those are the key sort of learning learning areas but and like i say that kind of incremental learning 
is different for everyone as well so they, again it goes back to that conversation i want to have this conversation with this person today i want to hear this from that person today i'm going to give you the space you need today and then that ebb and flow is i guess essentially what life is isn't it as, as we start to sort of maneuver ourselves through the decades and and whatever we're then able to impart that back either as a teacher as a doctor or, or just someone who has that experience that can help someone younger in their life Absolutely. And I think we don't have to be fearful of our kids having imperfect experiences either. I think um, that's part of the stress is trying to make everything perfect for them. And I think there's real resilience and uh, good skills to be learned from being challenged and being uncomfortable. And if they can have those experiences and come back to a safe space that's a parent or a teacher or any other um, authority figure, that's even better because they have to learn to navigate the world of um, as well and the world is not going to be perfect for them yeah i love that idea of going back to a safe space it's certainly something me and my wife had that conversation about especially as they started to get into that sort of teenage years mm-hmm. of the sense of they're gonna fall <laughs> or they're yes. gonna fail at something we just want to make sure that we've got a nice comfortable landing and that they're not going to get hurt when they sort yes. of when, when, when that happens you know we, we can give advice and we can mentor we can do everything we possibly can but sometimes it's that practical experience which is going to make the difference and our job is just to kind of like say put that mattress on the floor that's deep enough <laughs> just to kind of console the heavy hits and then away we go and then we move on again like say with the next conversation and the next experience yeah, you see with babies, when they first learn to explore their environment, they will get a little bit away from you and then come back and look at you before they keep going. And a baby that's securely attached to their parents, they when they look back, you are there, you make eye contact, and then that baby will keep going. If they don't get that reassurance on the check-in, they actually don't explore as far. So to me, that interaction never changes. So in, it comes in a different format. So as long as you're there and you know you have to let them be the one to check in and then you give them the confidence to keep going to explore. I think that's the that's the job as the parent. Yeah, I love that. And the, the other analogy that always springs to mind, especially talking about toddlers, is the fact that I've never seen anyone teach a toddler to walk. They just <laughs> <Yes>. do it. <laughs> yes. Know, they pull themselves up, they walk, they try, they fall over, they hit their head, they get up, they try again. And it just happens because that's what the desire is. That's what we're wired to do. And I think taking that mentality into into learning generally is that, you know, give them that environment where it's safe. We don't want them to hurt themselves when they fall over. Or we don't want them to hurt themselves when they're learning something new. Mm-hmm. But they will fail and that's fine. And then they'll do another bit and another bit and another bit. And I think then that just becomes a natural process. It becomes exciting. You can start to follow your kind of your inquiry and your interests in what sort of really is inspiring to you. Um, and then that whole sense of learning kind of comes. And again, it comes back to that environment. You know, that can come from the school. It can come from the parents. It can come from both together if you're really lucky. Um, but I think then, you know, we talked about mental health. I think if you sort of feel confident as a child, either directly or indirectly, that that's a way that you're going to be able to to learn and to grow in the world literally is your oyster, then your perception of what's going on is going to be a very different one than someone who's fearful, like you say, or doesn't get that reassurance that it's okay to experiment or to to take risks or to, to feel like, yeah, I want to see what the world's got out there for me. And I want to sort of bit by bit as I get older, I'm going to get further and further away, but that's okay because I, I, I know that I'm in a safe hands. 
Yes, and as a parent, it takes an element of trust, trusting the child to do that. I think that can be one of the hardest parts: fighting your own instinct to get in the way. A lot of times, the only thing we can do is get in the way because you know they have a natural course, and we, out of love and fear and anxiety, we just want to do something. So,、um, yeah, I think that's a great act of love is to、uh, trust your kid, stand back when you need to. And the kids feel that. I think there's a lot of subconscious communication going on between、um, babies and and kids of any age and their parents. So、um, the implicit trust in your kids, they feel that, and they are emboldened by that. They have confidence there. So it's always a dance. I think it's like a, we said in the beginning, not a easy formula to follow. But、um, I think parents being aware of this and being intentional about. Trying to give them the space, even from you know my my、um, baby is very young, but letting him fall when he's learning to stand and walk, it it goes all the way to、uh, when they're teenagers and beyond when they're adults. Yeah, for sure, and I love that analogy you just said there in terms of it's a dance, and I and、mm-hmm. I really like that so much because. That could look different on any day—a different type、yes. of dance, a fast <laughs> one, a slow one—but it's、yes. constantly moving and it's sharing. And I think that's such a beautifully, so beautifully put.、Um, you mentioned before about、um, a teacher in a school experience that changed your life. But is there a piece of advice that you've been given, or is there a piece of advice maybe you give your younger self now, looking back, as a as a as a more mature Dr. Amy? Ah, <laughs>、uh, that's there's so many.、Um, I think for me, I can be. Sometimes impatient, so I think the advice that I've been given that I would give myself to a young person is to give it time and not needing to see everything through to the end. I mean, I see such young kids these days、um, stressing about the college they will get into, the job they will have, and on the other hand. When you look back, most adults will tell you, "Oh, I had so much time. Actually, I could have explored all these things more." So,、um, I think that. Letting go of those expectations and knowing you can just be in the moment and do what you enjoy, without seeing how it's going to affect you twenty years down the road. I think that's、um, for a young person to take their time and explore these things is always the,、uh, worth doing.、Uh, before medical school in the states, you have to go get an undergrad undergraduate degree first, and I thought. Um, I'm going to be doing science the rest of my life, so I went and got a degree in anthropology, which has been great for me. I learned more about cultures and how people give meaning to things and how they think. And you know, if I were to do it again, I would even do something even further from science. Something you know, I love literature, music, all of those things. I think、um, are not time wasted to explore the things that interest you. And in the end, you. Still find where you're supposed to go, and all those elements will help as well. Yeah, and we. I think the one thing all of us know is that the the journey from A to B it certainly、mm-hmm. isn't a straight line in any in any shape、mm-hmm. or form. And and I think that, like I say, you mentioned before about the being in the moment. All those individual moments end up being the perfect path in order to get you to where you are. And enjoying all the elements of of life that you have within that, I think, is、uh, is so very、yeah. important. And I think as parents of teenagers. They, you know, we always take on the anxiety as well of where they going to college, what's their future going to be like. Whereas I think that we can have a little trust that where they go actually is not going to make or break their life. It's what they make of it. So trusting the journey, I guess, and knowing that it's not one step that's going to 
make or break anything, but training them to have the skills to keep coming back to the path that's right for them. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, is there a resource that you'd like to share? And this could be professional or or personal, but a podcast, a book, video, film, song, something something which you uh, say has that impact and maybe that slightly uh, warm feeling inside that you'd like to share? <laughs> um, I guess my favorite book that I find very um, profound is The Alchemist. And it's a book that I've read many times and at different age, um, ages and stages of my life, it always has different meaning. And of course, it's a one big parable and I don't want to say more. I think people should make their own meaning out of it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I would say is uh, useful for young people and to come back and revisit is The Alchemist. Yeah, love that. We'll have a link to that as well in the, in the yeah. show notes as well. And what I find amazing because I heard I've heard that already today. To, that book mentioned oh, really? today already. Yeah, and I, and I thought at the time I haven't read it for a couple of years. And and that yeah. exactly what you said. It's different each time you come back to it. So there's obviously mm-hmm. a message there somewhere for me. Let alone there everyone, you go. Everyone else as well. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. Um, and and just to finish off, the acronym FIRE is obviously important here as part of Education on Fire. And by that, I mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What is mm-hmm. it that strikes you when, when you hear those words? What's the first thing that sort of springs to mind is important? I think these days, in the context of the world we live in, resilience is the word that comes back to me and feedback. And I think we've made a lot of progress in how to make the workspace safe, the school environment safe, and give feedback. I think we might have lost our way a little bit on how to train people to be resilient. Um, And I think that taking all those into account, ideally you have all four things in the same environment, is to give uh, constructive feedback and then being resilient and overcome them. And of course, there's so much more to be said about each one of them. But I think resilience in young people um, is very important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Amy, thank you so much for sharing your insights. It's absolutely fascinating to me as a as a parent, but I think also in that wider concept of uh, of, of children learning and parents learning and supporting. And, and I think it's all, like you said, it's one big dance that we're all taking part in in <laughs> yes. the same ballroom. And I think understanding that these things are so sort of intrinsically kind of connected is, is, a, is a fascinating thought process for me and something which I think is important for everyone everyone to hear. So tell everyone again where they can find out more about you and, and all the stuff, great stuff that you're doing. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, and yeah, for me, you can find me on AskDrAmy.com. You can spell out the word doctor. Um, my Instagram handle is the same, AskDrAmy. And then my podcast is called the same, just making it simple. It's always AskDrAmy. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all those great insights. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, speak to you again very soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.